Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. And so what Zero Latency was struggling with is because of the complexity of the environments that, you know, there's a column in one location, one arena might be, you know, their 2,000 square feet was the standard. So one might be, you know, 62 by 30 by 30. And they had to customize the levels for each of those. And so deploying content updates or new games to each location on a network of 20 or 30 locations actually became really grueling for them. And I know I know locations that still don't have the last game a year later because they're waiting for the content customization for their space. And that's a challenge when you're paying royalty fees for content. You're not getting your content. It's like, fuck, what's going on? And so the thing that I was amazed at that I saw that you demoed at IAPA was you know, you were able to just tape off a room and the RF sensors kind of knew what the size was and automatically sized the game environment for the space. And I don't know anybody else that's doing anything close to that. And so when you look at scaling into the FEC market where everybody's got like a little bit different size space, like 10 feet can make a big difference in a VR, five feet, two feet. Like if there's a wall there, you know, in the next location, the wall, people walking into the wall. And so it's a really clever implementation. How will you find the content developers responding to that? Are they finding that a challenge? It's not a problem. It or are they, problem are they rising now. to that um, Our SDK, I think the Unity SDK is uh, pretty straightforward. It's not complicated, it seems. We've never had any problems so far. Yeah. So one of the comments in here is around columns. Now, obviously, columns are a challenge. Is there a way to drop column? a column into the space easily for a content developer or for the operator, or is that take customization? So actually um, I just came off from a, a location scouting in Berlin uh, with a potential joint venture partner. And what we saw there is six meters spacing between columns. This was just a, let's say older, older building. And this is obviously a challenge. And as we did with the responsiveness, you could think depending on the content to even in our SDK to place a column and as, as we have props, of course, if in the SDK, you could actually say, okay, this is a column. Now, when you set up the holodeck, you can define where the columns are and try to integrate it in a meaningful way, let's say, with a fruit splash. So this is where, where the kitchen is, let's say. So this would make the life from operators much easier, much easier in location scouting. Mm -hmm. So for this not possible for all contents, like, for example, with the haunted house, Obviously, this is more modular. It's not really responsive. It's modular. It'll take away a room from the haunted house or so. Ultimately, sooner or later, I think this is the way to go because then the number of potential locations really exponentially explodes and then it's just more feasible economically yeah. as well. And so you mentioned props. And so I'm gonna, this is the video I think you sent me on the, the horror maze with props in it. And obviously, this is a, on a soundstage somewhere, but... You can say, so how do you implement props into the system? So actually, just last week, we released our new SDK, a Unity version, where we even integrated a drone and, and other, let's say, fancy stuff uh, for, for theme parks and the likes. So in this case, this is a demo which we did for a big Asian theme park. Actually, we integrated props in a way that the moving props, in this case, a door, uh, is being tracked in real time as well. And this is in particular pretty interesting, this one, because here we tested a lot with users and, and tried to understand what is extreme enough so that 
you you get the users so excited that they come out of the experience and say wow this is mind-blowing but not so extreme so that uh, let's say 10 percent or 20 percent are falling over so this is a twisted room which you can sometimes find also in in regular analog haunted houses and you see how awkwardly the the users are walking so and this is where we're trying to to push the limits in terms of okay where really vr is adding a new dimension where it's really worth and now you can see how the user is walking let's say in a bandit world so again there you you can trick the mind of the user pretty pretty quickly and easily without let's say building physical worlds around it here in this case we tried to demo with a rapid prototyping type of approach that you can do so now he's opening the door and on the other side fans ventilators are there and, and he get immersed into let's say a balcony and there you we even in another demo headless day the blanks so what we also did is once with with some smell at the very beginning of this haunted house experience with wooden smell and it just a little teaser at the beginning it doesn't need to be consistent tricks the mind and here you see the blood on the face on the on the floor that it um, That's awesome. simulates the and look how he's walking like how he's walking <laughs> it's awesome so um, all the props are super cheap Pretty super cool. simple uh, um, um the next uh, uh, challenge the visitors have to face is this monster which is a real operator in a bubble suit it's much like to have a human ghost <laughs> in there it's much cheaper than an ai you realize also can it add a, a special uh, moment oh but that isn't really uh, funny and it's uh, as Jonathan mentioned um all these props can be can be used like from like the boards the planks the doors the fat suits the smells this content also works amazingly how hacking the prop like for example the door it looks like so it looks like you're using yeah i see what looks like lighthouse towers on there but what are you using to track this demo so actually it's a hybrid tracking system so we're using proprietary tech there so we're using on the one side optical tracking which uh, has great advantages like a um, sub-millimeter precision and merging this with radio frequency based tracking which has also great advantages of scalability and if you merge them you uh, you end up with a sweet spot of tracking system which has the advantage of both systems without let's say spending a half a million on on the overall system but at a much affordable price and you have this reliability option so that even if there are you know different uh, users with different heights uh, nobody is ever occluded yeah so for example so the door would be tracked via optical and the like would you just have the optical sensors on the door that yeah, swing the door, open, or? usually we would the hybrid is more critical obviously for the users head tracking because the users if you black out which happens if there's occlusion you have either frozen screen or blackout it's a no-go it's a break in the experience and then users are intimidated or they're afraid they don't know what's happening and it's a break in the experience so yep. uh, users it's the hybrid tracking for the props you can design it that way that it works at least for the for the doors for other props let's say like guns we're still working on the form factor to make it work let's say with hybrid so let's talk about hybrid tracking because it's a term that i don't think a lot of people are familiar with and and so the technology that you guys are bringing to the table is this rf tracking which is centimeter accurate and what you really need for vr experiences is millimeter accurate and so you know, a lot of people are, have turned to optical, OptiTrack and, and those companies, but they're really expensive. And, you know, I've been really 
questioning a lot of the business models around these track based systems because they're really expensive and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so how does the hybrid help optical? And then we're going to talk about inside out and how it might be so, working for so inside out. Basically, if, if you compare, let's say, a system, free ROM system, you may choose any of the ones on the market. Most of them work with pure optical and, and have a mesh of a network of cameras of different manufacturers. In any case, basically the problem of occlusion is tried to be solved by adding more cameras, which is obviously great for a camera manufacturer, but for operator, it can really make or break the business model. So our approach is to say, okay, let's get rid of, let's say 80% of these uh, cameras and let's add antennas, radio-based antennas and these active senders on the headsets of the users. And by doing so, we reduce the cost to one third roughly on the system cost which is mostly driven by the tracking system so far without compromising, better said, with increasing the tracking quality because there's never occlusion issues. Yeah, and, that, and what that's allowing, and that's, I think, the magic is allowing the more player density where, you know, in these thousand square foot experiences where they've got four players or five players or up to six players is the most I've seen, you know, you can put 10 or even more, like if you could do it safely, but 10 seems to be the practical limit in a thousand square feet. Because occlusion, there is no occlusion with radio. And so it's allowed you to really push the limits on the density, which drives higher revenue, right? Also, which is a big problem with the business models are really a challenge because you can only put so many people in. And if you put so many people in, you got to charge a high ticket price. And if you're charging a high ticket price that people haven't done VR, they're like, well, do I really want to spend 50 bucks on a VR experience if I don't know if it's good enough? So it creates a marketing challenge. So you've got this upward spiral of complexity and challenge in marketing VR solutions, because of the inherent cost of the solution and the limited throughput. And so what this does is it caps the price on the, on the installation, allows you to put more players in, which means you can drop the price lower, which allows people to sample it and see how much fun it is and drives repeat play. So there's this, like this, this magic combination Rubik's Cube that you guys have figured out that fascinates me because I think it really unlocks the value proposition for operators in family entertainment centers. And that's why I'm excited about it. Yeah, there's a question coming in from Jerry. Yeah. So do we want to pick that up? About pricing models. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's a good question around pricing models and and time and tickets. And again, there's only, you know, there's a handful. It's a fairly new solution. I mean, you know, you've been working on it for years, but it's only in a handful of locations. So talk about the implementations in the family entertainment center industry and what you've learned so far. Sure. So actually, we installed seven Holodecks 2018. We're planning to install 23 Holodecks this year. So let's say we, we're going for, let's say, sustainable growth. Ultimately, we want to become the go-to Netflix type of platform for free roam experiences for virtual worlds. And so far, we've installed two in theme parks, uh, one in Europa Park. The other one we can't disclose yet, but it's going to be also, let's say, pretty awesome, pushing the limits again on bumper cars. So whoever on this webinar is interested to put VR on bumper cars, please let us know we have a solution coming up there uh, being announced soon. Then we implemented or installed for our clients three um, holodecks in FEC locations. So shopping malls, uh, high frequency, high foot traffic locations. And then we also installed two in content studios because obviously as Barbara shared this great content pipeline, the content studios, the content developers, either they come to us to uh, Hololabs, hackathon type uh, of, you know, creative process events, or once they are hooked, let's say they get a holodeck themselves and can develop, let's say, uh, properly 
And that's what we did with two content studios. And that's what we're also looking to continue doing to de-bottleneck, let's say, the content pipeline. And the learnings, the big learnings from FEC operators is that basically the location, the more visibility from more uh, eyeballs, the better. So that means before that, uh, one of our clients had a, a location which, which was more, let's say, luxury uh, in, in, in a upscale location, but not so frequented. And then they changed it to a more um, frequented place and it, it was a pretty good move. And basically the economics is that you don't need, as you mentioned, you don't need to charge 40, 50, 60, 70 bucks. You can charge either per game or per time. So uh, let's say shop uh, for the birthday party markets, for corporate events, that's perfect because there you have a lot of people at once all want to do a shared experience. Nobody wants to be isolated. And with the current solutions at hand, you have an issue or you have a challenge, let's say, as an operator. And these are some learnings. Obviously, with pricing, you can still play around. But in, in good weeks, good locations, you can easily have 6,000 users in a week. So there's a, there's a company that installed this in a mall in Mexico City. And this is, I think, the one that Johnny's referring to. And they're actually out in the common area in the mall. And the more people that see it, the more they want to do it. And what I like about this is the Fruit Splash game specifically can be like a rolling game because it has rounds. And the operator can set the length of each round. And you go from one round to the next. So you can set 60-second rounds and give people a five-minute experience. And they play five rounds. And you can cycle people in constantly and out constantly. So you don't have to like the laser tag model, which is you get a group suited and you bring them in and you bring them out and you bring the next group in. You can actually cycle people through this on an ongoing basis based on how you structure the operator structures the game. And so what that allows you to do is really drive your price up and down. Like you can charge $3 or $5. And if you're in a really high volume location, take advantage of the traffic that you have where a lot of the VR, what I tell people is don't open in a mall because you're paying for traffic you can't utilize because your throughput's really low. In this case, you actually can utilize the throughput. So you can put it in a mall and take advantage of that high price, that high throughput at a low price point. So it's a whole different economic model that it opens up for VR. And so I think that's a really unique attribute of this. And it's going to be interesting to see how people push the envelope. So Jim's asking about, and I do want to save time to get to the tracking system because that's what I'm interested in. And maybe you guys don't give a shit about that and, and that's fine. But um, I think it's really important. Current integration with current arcade system embed. So Embed is a debit card system. And so from a payment standpoint, do you guys have a kind of like a like a point of sale registration system yet? Or is that on a roadmap? Or are you going to do an integration? Actually, so far, our clients, either theme parks or FEC uh, clients, they uh, have a solution themselves. So uh, still, I think it, it obviously would help if we have a preferred option or additional, let's say, suggestion at hand. So far, we, we haven't integrated into one, but we're looking into it and we're also looking at some, let's say, integrators who have already more things left and right uh, solved, like booking yeah. system, payments, and so on. So actually, if, if somebody from the attendees have some suggestions or so, we're happy to look at it. But so far, this was, let's say, not critical, mission critical to make money, let's say. Yeah. So, Johnny, I, there's a question from Jorge about where in Mexico City. And I know the client down there is a little leery about sharing too much information it's about their success because they want to keep the whole market for themselves. Okay. Yeah. Jorge, drop an email, Johnny's, uh, or drop me an email, VRBob at bobcuny.com or or Johnny's email is um, in the chat. And we'll, And the reason and what's happening, in my understanding, is the guys down in Mexico are trying to expand and they're trying to keep competition out. So they haven't given permission 
for Holodeck to promote their involvement yet. And it's there's a little bit of tension in that relationship, but they feel like they've got a good thing and they want to keep it to themselves. And I actually understand that. That's the end of part two of this interview. Part three is up next. 